you know, you don't want to give BlackRock your Bitcoin. You, you want to, you know, hold your own money, be responsible for that, um, you know, have that self-sovereignty. And I think that's like the big ethos that will get lost in this, uh, you know, BlackRock ETF. You know, as much as during the bear market, we like to say that I don't look at price and all this and that, you know, I mean, look at Bitcoin Twitter now. The moment it's starting to run up, everybody's talking about the price all of a sudden, right? I mean, at the end of the day, the price is the biggest signal in Bitcoin, right? I mean, the more money that comes in, the more people are hodling, you know. I mean, of course, like the bear markets are for building and a lot of great things has been has been going on in this bear market. But at the end of the day, the Bitcoin price going up helps Bitcoin companies. It helps fund a lot of these things. It helps bring institutional capital. It helps bring venture capital. It helps with all these other things. And so as much as we don't want to say it, yeah, the price ultimate signal and it helps Bitcoin a ton. I will agree that the hodler behavior is the number one catalyst because Bitcoin, when there's no sellers, price has to start drifting up. But in the same breath, who is selling right now? It's mostly the miners. And now as price goes up, they have to sell less of that because their profit margins are wider. But the amount that they have available to sell on a concurrent basis is gonna get cut in half. And I really can't think of any other large sellers in the market beyond the miners. So I think that's just gonna be sort of the match that, that really sets things off. If you enjoy this podcast and you want to learn more about Bitcoin, then make sure to subscribe to our free newsletter. Every Friday, we send out insights into macro, Bitcoin on-chain, and Bitcoin mining. Join over 100,000 existing subscribers by clicking the link in the description or going to newsletter.blockwareintelligence.com. This video is sponsored by Stamp Seed. You plan on holding your Bitcoin for decades, so you need to make sure that your seed phrase is documented in something that can last just as long. Stampseed's signature titanium plates and stamping kits do just that. If you simply write your Bitcoin seed phrase down on a piece of paper, it's vulnerable to fire, water, and all sorts of erosion that can happen over time. Make sure you keep it secure for years to come. Head to stampseed.com and use the code BLOCKWARE15 for 15% off the entire website. You wouldn't walk down the street with a giant sign that has your home address on it. So why would you do the same on the internet? You need to use a VPN. Orca VPN is a service that encrypts your internet connection and hides your IP address, ensuring your online activities are private and secure. Orca VPN works on all different devices, Windows, Mac, iOS, Android, and Linux. Head to orcavpn.co and use the code BLOCKWARE and you can access Orca VPN for just $1.99 a month. For less than the price of a cup of coffee, you can ensure that all your internet activity is private and secure. Again, that's orcavpn.co, O-R-C-A-V-P-N dot C-O. Yeah, I mean, I am I am on Twitter, and I probably shouldn't be as much as I am, but <laughs> I am, dude. I mean, it's just addicting, especially now with the price ripping. It's like, how could I not, uh, you know, be checking and, you know, missing out on, like, all the, the fun and dunking on people right now? Yeah, it's really, it's a lot more enjoyable when the price is going up, I've noticed, Um I don't know when you came into Bitcoin. I came in in uh, like late 2020, early 2021. So I got to experience that for a year. But then the rest of my time in Bitcoin has been down only. So this uh, last few months has just been quite interesting. I love the vibes on Bitcoin Twitter right now. Yeah, I mean, I I guess I don't know when I kind of found Bitcoin Twitter. That's a good question. But I started like hearing and like doing research about Bitcoin in like December or not December and uh 2017. And then when I got my first big boy job in December 2018, that's when I was like able to really buy. I kind of traded it a little bit, like traded. Mm -hmm. You know, I drove Uber in grad school. So like I wasn't really playing with much money, but I was like kind of moving it back and forth. Uh, I read some articles about Bitcoin going up and Dogecoin. So I shitcoin for a second. Um, but uh, then I realized I started listening to like Preston Pish. He had uh, Saifedean, um and uh, Plan B on back-to-back -back weeks and then another podcast. I think it was like a personal finance podcast. I don't even really listen to it anymore. I can't even think of the name right now, but they talked about Bitcoin like right then. And so I was like, all right, I'm seeing all these articles. I'm seeing all these signs. Now's, it now's time for me to dive into it and really figure it all out. And that's when I kind of became, uh, I guess, orange-pilled. I don't know if I was like big on to Twitter at that time. Um, but, uh, 
yeah, I think I probably found like Bitcoin Twitter, maybe like 2018, 19 or something like that. So I saw like the peril when it went down to like four grand and I was like freaking out because I was like just getting a job and then watching it all crash. And then it's something that I kind of just first started putting my money into. And I'm like, well, you know, I guess if uh, if I'm right here, then it's time to put my nuts on the table and just start start going in pretty hard. So, um, yeah, I don't know. It's been a, it's been a, a ride to say the very least. So I'm glad to see it start to to come back up. Right. That's a good time to get your first Bitcoin job uh, or just big boy job in general when Bitcoin's crashing. And thank you, everybody, for listening, by the way. Uh, we'll just jump right in. This is Brandon from Green Candle Investments, and we'll just leave that in. I think that was a good good introduction to your Bitcoin background, which I always like to, to share with the audience. And I had a similar situation. I got my first Bitcoin job and then Bitcoin dumped from like 40K to about 20K in like a four week period, which... Worked out great for me because I could actually start stacking some sats at the, the lower prices. So you and I, we met in Pacific Bitcoin in LA. And I know recently you went to El Salvador for the Bitcoin conference. I can't remember the name. What was El Salvador like? And is it really Bitcoin country? Is it, you know, did it live up to live up to the hype? Yeah, I mean, that's a great question. It's adopting Bitcoin. Um, so I was there for a full week. Uh, so I came in a little bit earlier before the conference and then left, uh, I think, like the day or so afterwards. Um, so what I'll say is like, I, I would say about like 10 to 15 percent of businesses, you know, accept Bitcoin. I stayed like right downtown in the city center. Um, and, you know, obviously with the conference and everything going on, there was a big, you know, kind of, I, I guess, like Bitcoin wave of people coming in. Um, so some would accept it, some wouldn't. Um, I wouldn't say like all of, you know, businesses were like readily available. It was still like, you know, a lot of cash transactions. When you go to the small marts, it's, uh, you know, a lot of cash and everything like that. No credit cards or anything. Um, but for the most part, I mean, it was great. Like I, you know, I stayed, like I said, downtown. The one weird part about it was like the city, like staying in the biggest city, like in downtown, like, I don't know, a couple blocks away from the World Trade Center there. The whole city shut down at like eight o'clock. So as soon as like, you know, the sun went down, it was like eight, nine ish o'clock. Um, like you couldn't really find much people out getting dinner or anything like that. It wasn't like it was unsafe, though, because like, you know, we would have Bitcoin events and I'd kind of stumble back to, to my Airbnb. But, uh, you know, somebody was telling me it was because of, you know, everybody just got so used to all the gangs that, you know, they would kind of be home when the sun went down and. Um, you know, they, they wouldn't be out wandering the streets at night, but, you know, it was extremely safe. I felt safer there than I did in a lot of big cities in America. Uh, I took surfing lessons, uh, so I went and surfed. So shout out to Bamba, the surf coach. If you're going down there, you should check him out. Um, and, uh, yeah, man, Bitcoin Beach, El Zante was a ton of fun too. I mean, I was hanging out with Bitcoiners the whole time while I was in El Zante, but I tried to... I guess go and get like the local feel. Like I went to some of the gyms there, worked out a little bit, um, you know, tried to like wander around and just get a feel. My problem is I don't speak fluent Spanish. So I, I'm now taking Spanish lessons to try to figure that out a little bit. But from what I could tell, you know, the everybody was very pleased with the job Bukele is doing. Um, and I think, you know, it's, it's almost like a near shoe in uh, for him to get reelected here in this next year. I mean, like everywhere I went, I saw like Bukele 2024 stuff, like people selling hats, shirts, all that kind of stuff. Um, but it didn't really feel like I was in like, a, I guess, like a third world country. Like, obviously, there's still some construction being done. There's still a lot of things being cleaned up. But there's, uh, you know, a lot of new things have popped up. Um, from what I understand, too, a lot of uh, roads in El Zante have been redone. Um, but overall, man, it was it was great, man. I really enjoyed it. Um you know, it's beautiful country and I'm definitely going to go back hopefully in the next like calendar year or something like that. So I'm, I, I, I highly recommend it for anybody that hasn't made the trek down yet. That's interesting. I'll definitely have to put that on my list and it's kind of surprises me the degree to which simply being tough on crime can really transform a place because I remember when they first announced that they were making Bitcoin legal tender. And I started trying to talk about my talk about it to my friends. They're like, I would never go to El Salvador. That's like the crime capital of the world. You know, if you're an American, you go there, you're going to get beheaded by the cartel and you're never coming back. 
but it sounds like it's made a complete 180. And I know Bukele got a lot of crap because of the way that they arrested the gang members and potentially innocent people getting caught up in that storm. So I don't, I don't really know where my opinion is on that, right? Because you obviously don't want to arrest innocent people, but it sounds like the locals are having a much higher quality of life. And the fact that Americans can go there as tourists comfortably bring their capital with them. Some people even, you know, who work remote relocating down there for a good chunk of the year, that's going to do wonders for their economy. So definitely an interesting experiment to watch it play out. How, so you said the locals, they're very pro Bukele. How are they about Bitcoin? Is it just something they're like, oh, like we have to accept this now? Or are a lot of them very orange pilled and they see all the pressing issues that Bitcoin solves? Yeah, it's definitely a mix. Um, you know, I would say like I had, uh, you know, a driver that I got connected with through Twitter, um, through, you know, Jaime Garcia, who writes for Bitcoin magazine. So I'm, I'm going to shout everybody out that that helped me out down there. But a driver, Jeremy, he was great. He spoke great English and he was definitely orange pilled to the T. You know, he, you know, doesn't do like, I mean, he's probably more orange pilled than me. Like he's like no blue light, anything like that, like all that kind of stuff. Um, but you know, he had some of his other drivers pick me up and they could barely kind of figure out Chivo wallet. Um, you know, they liked Bitcoin, uh, because, you know, we would come down and like Americans would come and spend like American prices. So like, you know, I got, uh, the driver to pick me up one time and it was like, maybe we got caught in traffic. It was like an hour and 15 minutes. He charged me like 20 bucks, um, in Bitcoin. And then, you know, like later, I think. Um, you know, he realized like, all right, it's all, you know, Bitcoiners coming in from America and it's kind of like a hot time. So then the next trip, he charged me like almost nearly double that, which still is cheap. Right. But, um, you know, <laughs> yeah. he's still like they, they kind of realize like, all right, you know, Americans are coming down here and spending it. Um, I was in uh, an Uber with a couple other people who orange pilled the drivers. Uh, there are a lot. A lot of people are very cautious, especially with the Chivo wallet, too. Um People believe in Bukele, I would say, but they're very cautious when it comes to just government stuff in general, uh, because, you know, they've been promised so many things. Um, and, you know, this is all obviously secondhand from somebody who's just, you know, a gringo going down to visit. But they were telling me, you know, one of the roads that cuts almost directly to the Bitcoin beach, um, it like cuts through the mountain. They've had the funding for that for, I think, like they said, three or four presidencies, but everybody else has been using that money to, you know, do some corrupt things or pocketing the money or something like that. Um, Bukele was the first one to come in and kind of get it done. And he got the road finished and completed within a year, which, you know, it, for the extent of this road, you know, cutting into the mountainside and everything, it sounds is, is extremely fast. And so, you know, I think, People are really on board with the job Bukele is doing, but I think as Bitcoin as a whole, they're kind of like on the fence of it. Some people believe in it. Um, some people just don't like dismiss it uh, entirely. And uh, some people are just kind of like scared to get into it. Um, and uh, but, you know, with enough people telling them about it and whatnot, they, you know, kind of accept it. Um, I don't know if like, you know, some of the uh, Bitcoin are uh, the drivers that, you know, we tipped in Bitcoin or anything would use that for anything other than just, you know, simply converting it back to fiat. But I think it's like a step, right? I mean, in my opinion, to orange pill somebody, you need like five or six touch points at, at the very least. So that's one, you know, and maybe they've had a couple before they see the Bitcoin, you know, sign and everybody coming down. I think it's just, you know, a matter of time, right? I mean, 10% in the first couple of years, um, you know, sounds like a small amount, but if you really think about it, like, you know, how many people and businesses in the U.S. accept uh, Bitcoin? Probably less than like 0.01% at this point. So right. I think, you know, it's definitely a step in the right direction. And it's just, you know, something that's going to take time. And I think once Bukele gets reelected, um, you know, I'm kind of almost guaranteeing it here. So maybe maybe that's not, not good to call the shot like that. But if he does, um, you know, I would... I would be willing to bet that it would be closer to that 50% mark by the end of his next, uh, next tenure. Right. That, uh, that'd be exciting for them if they could get up to 50%. I would kill for 10% of Bitcoin, uh, or for businesses in America to accept Bitcoin. There's only one place in my town. It's just this like cigar beer lounge, which 
I don't really drink, but I'll go there and get a cigar just to support them and, and pay in Bitcoin. But so far, there's nowhere I could buy a grass-fed steak with Bitcoin yet, but we'll get there. And you hit on an interesting topic, which is multiple touch points. And something that I've, I've said before that I think rings true is borrowing the parable of the sower from the Bible. So in terms of Bitcoin, if you sow enough seeds out there, right, if you're constantly producing Bitcoin content or leaving subtle hints, just posting memes out there, I think individuals have to see Bitcoin multiple times before it actually rings a bell. And once it's in the back of their mind, they may not immediately understand it, but when the price starts going up, they'll think back to all the times they heard about Bitcoin and they'll be like, hmm, I should probably start to learn about this. Over the past few weeks, we've had all this price action. Are people you know reaching out to you and asking about Bitcoin? And how do you sort of approach that? Are you in the this stage where like, I don't really care, screw these people, they can go learn themselves? Or are you offering a helping hand to, to sort of guide people? Yeah, um, surprisingly, no, I haven't gotten anybody reaching out to me yet. But a lot of my friends just kind of know me as, you know, I guess my normie friends know me as like the Bitcoin guy, I don't really bring it up to them. My, uh, my way of like, I guess, orange pilling them is like, if they want to come up and approach me about it, I'll have the conversation, but I'll usually try to ask a bunch of questions. You know, I think, yeah, I, I guess that's kind of like a sales tactic. I was reading some book about, you know, kind of, I guess, the, the art of selling, so, so to speak. It's called Sleight of Mouth, if anybody wants to do it, but I didn't read it. But anyway, uh, I'm in the middle of that right now. So I'm kind of trying to think of ways, because I mean, I'm not trying to sell people Bitcoin in a sense, but it's always kind of, you know, in a sense, guiding the conversation where you want to go. Um, so a lot of things that I've heard and kind of, you know, gotten from experience is that, when you're the person asking the questions, you're the one kind of driving the conversation, right? Like, you know, you kind of try to figure out well, why are you approaching me about this? Is it because of, you know, the number that goes up? Like what holds you back from buying Bitcoin? Um, you know, do you know of any places where you could? Do you know of any other people outside of me that owns Bitcoin? You know, just kind of going about it that way um, and not really pushing it. You know, I mean, if they want to like, you can usually kind of tell if somebody's zoning out um, or if somebody's like not interested or wants to change the topic, I'm never one to kind of push it on somebody. I think that, you know, uh, enough of my friends know that I have my, you know, my podcast and other things like that now where it's like, all right, if they get curious, they know where to find me. Um, and that's where I think like every Bitcoiner can kind of just be at for their normie friends. Right. I mean, I've tried, you know, giving my siblings uh, Bitcoin for their birthdays and Christmas and they saw it dip. So they sold it off. I've tried, you know, helping them buy it and like on an exchange and then that exchange gets rugged. So now they don't trust it. There's like so many other things and mistakes I've made from like orange pilling people where it's like, you know, you, you just want to get it inside somebody's thick skull, right? You want to shake them and just be like, why can't you see this? It took me a while to do it, but I see it. Why can't you? And, you know, I think like it's not really worth the battle anymore. I think, you know, everybody in at least in America or, you know, uh, maybe even globally at this point has heard of Bitcoin. But if they really want to look into it, they will. If not, you know, they can come and come and ask me a couple of questions. But it's not something that I'm really going to dive really into with them. You know, I get a lot of people that will say, you know, mix in Bitcoin with Ethereum or something else. And I'll say, you know well, I'm just a Bitcoin only guy. And I kind of just leave it at that. And if they want to ask more questions, I'll let them ask more questions. But you know, I'm just kind of, I don't, I just think like the battle that people want to get into with that, you know, at a certain point, uh, is just not necessarily worth it. And if they want to get orange pilled, they have to kind of find it themselves. And you can only give them so much, right? It's like, right, you can lead the horse to water, but you can't force it to drink. Yeah, bro. I'm the same way. I stopped trying to orange pill people directly. Enough of the people in my life know that I'm interested in Bitcoin and some of them associate it with crypto as well, but they know where to find me, right? If they have questions, I don't really reach out to people. And I think this is part of the advantage of making content, which you do as well, is I don't have to have these long conversations I can just send them a link to a video where I'm answering the exact question they asked. So orange pilling people, a good framework I found is think about how you got orange pilled. 
it wasn't by someone incessantly talking in your ear about it. At least it wasn't for me and for most people I know. It takes a genuine curiosity. You have to seek it out yourself. So as Bitcoiners, I think all we can do is just put content out into the void of the internet. And if people want to find it and consume it, they will. Yeah. And I mean, like, I don't know. I, I had multiple touch points, right? I mean, like, I remember this vividly uh, in 2012. Uh, I don't know if you, you were around uh, or like, I guess, old enough to kind of remember this, but I was a freshman in college then. And in December of 2012, uh, the Mayan calendar was supposed to end. And that was when the world was supposed to end at that day. And coincidentally, it was one of my good friends from high school's birthday. Um, so we were all back in winter break after our, all, all of our first uh, semesters of college. And he was at a frat at the University of Texas. And at the University of Texas, he, he said he was in the business school. He said, like, yeah, man, somebody came to us and they talked to us about this Bitcoin thing. And it's the future. I'm like, cool, man. And we got drunk and, <laughs> and I don't remember ever talking <laughs> about it ever again. And then I actually brought it up to him like not too long ago, maybe a couple years ago. I'm like, man, did you ever buy any Bitcoin like around then? He's like, no, I just don't really understand it. I just didn't. And it's still to his this day, he, he never bought any. So I don't feel as bad about myself. And then I remember in grad school too at A&M, another one of my friends was like, hey, I'm, you know, I took this summer internship and this one guy I know quit it, quit our job. And, um, you know, I think he was like an in working at as an intern, maybe at like Apple or one of these big companies like that. And he was like, yeah, one of the guys at my job just quit. Um, and he said he got rich off of this latest Bitcoin pump. So I think we missed it. I'm like, ah, oh, damn, I guess I guess I missed it, too. And then, you know, I mean, I just kept like, you know, I heard it like three or four times before I like myself was just kind of like, all right, let me try to figure this out. And then, too, I, you know, I, I kind of blame it on like me not really having any money. But I mean, at the same time, like, you know, if I was hearing it at this time, it was like, OK, I could get 100 coins or whatever. But, you know, at that at that time, I don't know if I was like really, I guess, mature enough um, or old enough to kind of, you know, have the, the diamond hands mentality, buy Bitcoin and then just hold it. Right. I mean, I would have been you know, just getting out of school and I would have not had have made any money. And then all of a sudden, if I, you know, a Bitcoin pumps and I have like hundred thousand dollars or hundreds of thousands of dollars, I'd be like, yeah, I'm a fucking genius. And then I just, uh, you know, I, I don't, I wouldn't believe anybody else. And so I think like kind of going through the way I did, you know, I, like they say, everybody that uh, finds Bitcoin at the price they deserve. And I think, you know, at the end of the day, like with my maturity level, kind of where I was at in life, um, you know, I, I have no regrets about it. Right. I love that quote. Everybody gets it at the price they deserve. And you hit on an interesting point, which is people thinking they miss the boat. And this is something I've thought about with the ETF. There's that FUD where people are like, oh, I wasn't early to Bitcoin. But now people will be able to say, oh, I was early to the Bitcoin ETF. And in the same vein, unit bias is a major deterrent from a lot of people buying Bitcoin. They don't realize it's divisible. Well, with the way the ETFs are likely going to be priced, that should not be an issue either. Are these, do you, would you agree with both of those two ideas? And then what's your overall opinion on the ETF? How bullish is it actually? Because of course it's bullish to some degree. Is it a nothing burger? And you know, how long do you think it'll really take before it becomes a serious mover of the price? Yeah. So, I mean, I think, you know, that's a great question. So, you know, with the ETF, I mean, like for the price action, you have to be bullish, right? I mean, BlackRock's going to be putting money into it um, and like people are going to be buying Bitcoin um, through this BlackRock ETF. It's going to lead to more institutional buyers. It's going to lead to more, you know, big hedge fund buyers kind of getting into it. The problem is, is that a lot of, you know, plebs essentially, you know, have, have had the diamond hands for so long. So, you know, it's going to make the price shoot up. And I think that's kind of more of the driver of price is that just like the human behavior behind it is that nobody's going to really sell uh, unless they absolutely have to, or maybe they shave off a little bit, but they're going to keep, you know, majority of it or whatever. Um, I just think like, as far as like the Bitcoin ethos goes, right, I mean, you know, you don't want to give BlackRock your Bitcoin. You don't want to, you, you want to, you know, hold your own money, be responsible for that, um, you know, have that self-sovereignty. And I think that's like the big ethos that will get lost in this 
you know, BlackRock ETF. I mean, if you kind of think about it, though, at this point in time, like micro strategy is basically a Bitcoin spot ETF, you know, institutional buyers that have wanted exposure into uh, Bitcoin have probably bought in micro strategy stock and just, you know, held it in whatever place, because, you know, at this point, like, I don't really see the purpose in buying like a micro strategy. So, I mean, it's a great company, right? I mean, he has steady, consistent revenue coming in, steady, consistent money coming in. And that's why he's able to, you know, deploy a lot of those reserves into Bitcoin and kind of continually buy. Um, but like, you know, for something like, like that, it's like, you know, I, at the, I would just buy Bitcoin, you know, I, it's not something to me that I would ever be, you know, as a, as a retail guy going in and being like, all right, let me buy this, this BlackRock ETF, but you know, all the institutional money going flooding in, you know, I think it's just a matter of time, but you know, at the same, in the same vein, you know, I don't know if a lot of these, uh, institutional players really understand Bitcoin just yet. Um, but you know, from the average person, you know, see like my mom, for example, when Elon said he was into Bitcoin, my mom's like, oh, like, you know, that's when she kind of talked to me about it another time. She's like, oh, I hear Elon Musk is into Bitcoin and he's a smart guy. Um, so it's like another one of those touch points where I think, you know, the BlackRock ETF might get people into Bitcoin. Maybe they'll buy it through the BlackRock ETF and then they'll start to do some research and realize like, hey, you know, I could buy it on you know, some other platform and, you know, hold it myself. And I don't really need to have it on my, you know, stock brokers account or whatever it is. And, you know, giving BlackRock my money. And that's kind of what starts them going down the rabbit hole. You know, I think, like I said, it's just another one of these touch points. And I think, you know, the bigger, the, the bigger players that come in, the more publicity around Bitcoin is nothing but bullish. Right. That idea of sort of an appeal to authority or credibility, right? Your mom buying or getting interested in Bitcoin because Elon gave it the thumbs up. That's huge. BlackRock giving it the thumbs up. I mean, a lot of people don't like BlackRock, but they respect their opinion as it pertains to investments. And that's the biggest thing right there. BlackRock is going to put their army of financial advisors on the mission. They're going to be marketing for Bitcoin because they want to make fees. They have a vested interest in seeing the price of Bitcoin go up. Not to mention, they are one of the largest shareholders in MicroStrategy and these public mining stocks. So, I mean, the, the largest asset manager in the world going to bat for Bitcoin is more than just the easily accessible vehicle that the ETF is. It's the fact that this Goliath is not on our side, right? Because they're not aligned with the ethos of private property that Bitcoin represents, but they are aligned with number go up and... That's one of the most fascinating things about Bitcoin is the way it brings all incentives together. Everyone is really incentivized for Bitcoin to succeed at the end of the day. Oh, 100%. And, you know, I mean, the number go up, although it's probably going to benefit a company like BlackRock more because they'll have more money to deploy. It's going to help out the plebs too, right? I mean, you know, as much as, you know, during the bear market, we like to say that, you know, I don't look at price and all this and that, you know, I mean, look at Bitcoin Twitter now, the moment it's starting to crack, uh, starting to run up, everybody's talking about the price all of a sudden, right? I mean, at the end of the day, the price is the biggest signal in Bitcoin, right? I mean, the more money that comes in, the more people are hodling, you know, I mean, of course, like the bear markets are for building and a lot of great things has been has been going on in this bear market. But at the end of the day, you know, the, the Bitcoin price going up helps Bitcoin companies. It helps fund a lot of these things. It helps bring institutional capital. It helps bring venture capital. It helps with all these other things. And so, you know, as much as we don't want to say it, you know, the price ultimate signal and it helps Bitcoin a ton, right? I mean, if Bitcoin was sitting at 100K, you know, next week, everybody would be talking about it and, you know, everybody would be FOMOing in and, you know, here we go, buckle up because we're about to, you know, take off here. So, you know, I think at the end of the day, um, you know, price, price matters. And, uh, you know, it's a necessary evil here that we have to look at it in the, in the fiat terms, but, um, you know, hopefully one day that, that flips, but as it stands right now, we're still looking at it at the, in the dollar denominated terms. Right. I 100% agree with that. Ideally, we could just say one Bitcoin equals one Bitcoin, which is true. That is a factual statement. But the the US dollar denominated price really is the, the signal at the end of the day. 
And ignoring the price is a great strategy in a bear market and really grounds you at focusing on the long term because we're not in Bitcoin to make fiat gains in the next five or 10 years. We're in Bitcoin to preserve wealth across generations. That's the real value that it brings. You can hold something for decades or centuries and you know that it can't be debased. It can't be manipulated. There can't be a new CEO that gets in charge of it and runs it into the ground. It's just something that's steady and constant. And over time, we're going to be proven right about the fiat price, I'm sure. And I think that's why you see a lot of Bitcoiners, they celebrate when the price goes down, at least externally, internally, some of them might be cringing a little bit um, if they're a LARP. But I, for one, was actually like genuinely happy when the price went down in 2022 because I was able to stack more. But I know a lot of people, they're probably terrified. And I think that's a, a key point we can start to dive into is that you should, Bitcoiners like, right, we're going to make a lot of wealth if we're right. But we should continue to work and be productive towards society, right? If you start just living off of your stack, you're at that point, you're a net consumer instead of a net producer. And what are your thoughts on that? If Bitcoin went to $100,000 tomorrow, does that really change your day-to-day -day life? Or are you still trying to grind and hustle? Well, I don't know. I mean, I'm in a unique position, I think. I'm not like the average, I guess, you know, I, I'm... I, I would say like a lot of people, you know, I mean, I'm, I just started a new fiat job. Right. So, I mean, I've already kind of got it in my head that, you know, I'm, I'm trying to, you know, work it very hard outside of that. So I could potentially become like an entrepreneur at the end of the day. Um, you know, my goal is at the end of next year. So, I mean, I'm, I'm putting it out there. So now I have to make it happen. End of 24, hopefully full-time entrepreneur, but if it, you know, Bitcoin takes off, um, you know, obviously that benefits me, right? I mean, that there's more people around content, there's more people around, um, you know, just Bitcoin in general. And so like, from my perspective, the day to day that would change would be, you know, the, the streaming sats and like, you know, things like that, that people could, that, you know, that people do now means even more because, you know, streaming a, like a sat a minute at this point, you know, is, it's not very much, um, you know, I mean, it's like way, way less than a penny, but you know, the closer that we get to that being some meaningful, meaningful money, the closer I am to just being like, Hey, you know, I could be, you know, the full-time content guy or like, you know, travel around and go to all these conferences, do those, those kind of things. So I think, you know, from my perspective, um, it would, you know, allow me to potentially become like an entrepreneur and do what I really want to do. Uh, you know, a little bit quicker. Um, whereas, you know, I think the average person, you know, if they're in their cubicle, you know, I mean, I think it, the statistics like 60 or 70% of Americans end up hating their job and, you know, don't really enjoy it. So I'm hoping that a lot of people that are listening to this are working in Bitcoin and doing something that they do love. But at the same time, you know, the numbers say that majority of people don't, right? And so what I would hope is that, you know, a lot of people that, you know, maybe don't like their job or whatever, found Bitcoin, are able to, you know, maybe maybe they retire, maybe they take some time off. But I think at the end of the day, everybody gets a little bit bored after a little bit. So maybe Bitcoin goes 100K and it keeps running up or whatever, they retire. They figure out like, hey, you know, I want to contribute back to Bitcoin. Maybe this is the time I take to learn a new skill or, you know, spend some time with my family that I was like not spending time with before because I was in the office from, you know, six to nine every single day, just grinding away, slaving away, um, you know, which is what this fiat system sort of incentivizes. So I think like for the average pleb, you know, unless you have, you know, well over a full coin, I, I don't know if it like 100,000 would be the number that would change it, uh, change a bunch of lives. But I think that, you know, it would basically give some people some flexibility where it's like, hey, I hate my job. You know, maybe I sell a quarter of a coin, give me some runway here. And now I can, you know, make sure my family's safe and do all this. And I can, you know, give myself six months of expenses or whatever it is. And then I'll figure it out. I think it just gives people more flexibility. And, you know, me personally, that's kind of what I'm, I'm all about is like, you know, just find, you know, different ways to, to make things work. And, you know, be flexible and try to, you know, not be so set in some ways. And I think that's, you know, in a sense, what every Bitcoiner has kind of, you know, I, I guess how they, uh, in a sense, found Bitcoin, right? I mean, they realized like, hey, this doesn't really seem right to me. And they kind of like questioned it and tried to figure out 
you know, another solution. And so I think that's, you know, that the mindset that a lot of the clubs would have if, you know, Bitcoin became a hundred thousand tomorrow, you know, and like where their day to day life would sort of change. Right. I see the same thing. It's interesting that in that situation, Bitcoiners are going to want to be entrepreneurs. They're going to want to deploy capital into productive things. They want, they're going to want to provide value to society. So I think the world will be a lot better place when people with our mindset are in control of more capital and we're able to go start a ton of businesses. It doesn't even have to be anything related to Bitcoin, but just the fact that someone with the understanding of Bitcoin, proof of work, Austrian econ economics, and all these concepts that we talk about a lot in the Bitcoin community, those types of people being in control of capital instead of you know the fiat leeches, so to speak, it should create a, a better society. How do you, so this is shifting gears a little bit, but as we go into this cycle, the ETFs are likely going to be the main driver of the Bitcoin price. There's not really altcoin ETFs. I know there was like a rumor of an Ethereum ETF or something. I don't, I don't know about that. But it seems that Bitcoin, even when you look at the altcoins priced in Bitcoin this year, they're all bleeding out. Do you think there's going to be another alt mania alt season? Or is this the time where you know they finally die off and Bitcoin dominance just goes to like 100%? I think there's still going to be all mania. I mean, like at the end of the day, it's all priced in, in Bitcoin, right? I mean, it's Bitcoin's the main driver, right? So we're seeing Bitcoin start to run up. You'll see some other coins start to run up too, but there's people that still believe in, in the, the shit coinery, man. I mean, I think like it's just sort of, you know, where it's at, um, I think. And it's a, such a low barrier to entry, you know? Me and you can go uh, right now and, you know, create a fork of some crypto token that has an open source code and just, you know, call it Brandon and Mitch coin if we wanted to. And like, you know, convince people that we're doing some pre-raise and then we rug them. You know, I mean, like it's the same song and dance, but people keep falling for it because of, you know, what this fiat system is. And I think that's the real driver, not people's greed. It's well, I mean, yeah, people's greed, but people preying on, you know, the thought of, Hey, this is the next Dogecoin, or this is the next Shiba Inu, or whatever it is, and you know they're looking for that get rich quick, get rich you know immediately overnight. And a lot of people think you know the the general fud like oh you know I missed the boat with Bitcoin. Um, you know Bitcoin is whatever it is right now like forty something thousand. I can never buy a full coin, but I can buy you know five hundred Shiba Inus for you know ten cents on a coin or whatever it is. And, uh, you know, that's that's just kind of the, the mindset. So I think, you know, the denomination of Bitcoin kind of throws some people off, like kind of leading them a little bit towards the, the altcoins. And uh, I think just because of a low barrier to entry, you know, hopefully less people get fooled by it. But I think, you know, the way that inflation has been, you know, the way that, uh, you know, families are struggling, credit card debt at like an all time high, personal savings at a low you know, things like student loan debt opening up, like a bunch of these macroeconomic factors, people are going to be looking for something that can help them, you know, make it make a quick buck. And, you know, I think at the end of the day, too, like, you know, if somebody sees something running up or whatever, they're probably going to be willing to risk it on, you know, a crypto token other than like a, a stock, right? Because I think like for the average person, they get a little bit more intimidated when it comes to the stocks where before it was like, Hey, you know, this penny stock is going to go to, you know, five, 10 bucks or whatever it is. And, uh, you know, now it's this crypto token is going to go to the moon and that's, you know, you can find the bigger returns doing that instead of, you know, the general stock investing of like the S and P 500, you know, it's not sexy, but you know, it'll get you there. And uh, Bitcoin, you know, Bitcoin's not really a sexy, crypto anymore as much as it cringes me to say to say that in the same sentence but um you know people kind of still group them in the same and they're looking for the the next big wave and you know the uh, the other thing is is people get all caught up in the use cases of these altcoins too you know they hear the word blockchain they think it's um all this breaking ground technology and they don't really understand that you know blockchain is very inefficient it's meant to be inefficient like what do you really need a digital ledger for really it's just transactions in my eyes i don't really see any other use case 
for a blockchain that you really need where like, you know, you can't have like a website or a server or something like that, you know, do something or collect this, this data that you need. Um, like not everything needs to be on, you know, a blockchain like that. Um, but you know, people will get caught up in that and say, oh, you know, real estate on the blockchain or something else on the blockchain. Um, you know, I can have these JPEGs on the blockchain, like, oh, this is so cool. You know, it's something that I just don't personally see like a really big use case for, but you know, some other people get fooled by it. And that's where, you know, that there's great marketers out there that can, you know, uh, step on grapes and water and tell you it's wine and, and they'll sell a bunch, you know? So, uh, I think at the end of the day, it's, you know, still going to happen, unfortunately, but I think with every bull run comes more Bitcoiners and, uh, drops off a lot of these altcoiners. So, uh, every bear market kills some altcoiners. So, I mean, as much as the, the bull will bring some in, the bear will, will kill them off. That is 100% true. The bear market definitely slaughters the altcoins. I see things a bit more optimistically. I do think there will be altcoin rug pulls. I think that will happen, but I think it will be to a much smaller degree than we saw in 2021. I don't think we get a Celsius block FTX contagion, massive blow up, three arrows capital into Luna that goes to zero. I, I think that era is behind us. And I think the types of investors sitting on the sideline waiting for the ETF aren't going to fart around with altcoins. I think they're very cautious in their approach and they're only going to get into Bitcoin, one with a small percentage of their portfolio to begin with. That percentage will grow as the Bitcoin market cap grows, but two, only because it's been given basically the thumbs up from the institutions. And then when those guys get in, as Bitcoin's market cap grows, and it becomes more liquid in fiat terms, likely getting less drawdowns, I think you can really start to see the serious capital allocators put money in, right? Because if you have $100 million to invest, you can't go to Shiba Inu, you can't go to whatever the new rug pull token of the day is. So that money is going to go into Bitcoin. And I think even on a percentage basis, you could see Bitcoin way outperform these altcoins, which it does in the long run, right? But in the short run, there, there might be pump and little pump and dump altcoins, but which coins those will be is anybody's best guess, right? It it certainly won't be the popular ones of of yesteryear. Um, and I think plus two with the the sort of crackdown on on the exchanges, right, and the stuff that's been going on with Binance over the past few few months, I think that should deter a lot of the shenanigans. But it certainly will happen to some degree. And you started hitting on macro, and I want to get your bird's eye view of where are we headed into 2024 all technical signs definitely point to a recession is coming specifically the inversion of the yield curve would you agree that a recession is for sure going to happen in 2024 i don't know about for sure in 24 um so i think that they're going to try to keep push it off a little bit towards like after the election especially you know where where it's when it's uh depending on who it gets, gets elected, you're right. I mean, I think that, you know, right now, Jerome Powell has been very strict in saying that he's going to keep interest rates higher for longer. Uh, he's not going to pivot until, you know, maybe even 25. Um, and in my eyes, I think that's, you know, kind of closer to when we'll see the recession is maybe like Q4 of next year or, you know, 2025. Because, you know, I still think as much as, you know, people... Uh, you know, you know, people still aren't, aren't really losing their jobs, so to speak. I mean, like, you know, I, I'm maybe I, I'm being hypocritical, but I, because I just lost my job, but I was able to get another one within uh, a month or so. Um, and you know, that I think that there's a lot of, uh, people that are maybe having to take pay cuts. There's not going to be as many raises, things like that. Um, uh, but I think, you know, after COVID 2020, um, you know, that kind of fall off, uh, people losing like massive amounts of jobs, people have gotten more flexible um, and kind of had to figure it out a little bit more, right? I, I think the average person now really like trying to buy a home is, is sort of out of their picture. So maybe they're not saving for that. Um, and the average, you know, couple is, is still, you know, 
I would say like more people are probably trying to be get get roommates, do other things like that, trying to find ways to scrape by. And, you know, maybe their quality of life is going down where, you know, the average you know person out of school is not able to go have that one bedroom apartment downtown. They're having to live, you know, 15, 20 minutes in an Uber downtown to go, you know, out with friends or go eat, or maybe they can't eat out quite as much. But I think, you know, like I, I mentioned credit card debt's high, you know, which means people are still spending. People are still, you know, swiping that plastic, trying to, um, you know, get by and impress everything. And I also think that there's a, a rising, um, uh, a rising uh, option for the buy now, pay later stuff. I don't know if you're seeing that, but I'm seeing it like anytime yeah. I go to check out on something now, it's like, do you want to pay? Like, I just bought a flight back home for Christmas. This is the first time I've seen this where it was like, you can pay like $45 or whatever it was, maybe 50 bucks a month for the next 12 months um, or, you know, longer or whatever it was uh, to pay off this uh, airline ticket. I think like more people are going to be taken up on those options. And what does that mean? More people are going to be paying more over time, but, you know, depending on the interest rate, you might be paying less because of how much the dollar gets inflated. I don't really know at this point. So, I mean, it would be interesting to see how that all kind of plays out. Um, and then two student loan debt opening up, right? I mean, like one of the big, um, the big uh, platforms that Joe Biden ran on was that he was going to eliminate student loan debt. Well, he didn't do that. And, you know, at the end of the day, majority of people owe the government, you know, by getting or got their student loans from the government. And so, you know, who would that debt be just eliminating to the money to the government, which the government has a spending problem. So, I mean, I think, you know, with all these factors, the the two wars that are breaking out, I think the U.S. is going to turn on the money printer um, while it's tightened up, um, which will be kind of an interesting time before, um, you know, really pulling back. And then that's when the, the floodgates open. So I think, you know, Powell's kind of keeping his foot down. He's trying to combat inflation. I think Powell's not an idiot, even though we're reporting CI, uh, CPI as a, you know, whatever, three point whatever percent or, you know, four percent or whatever the, the last reading was. Um I think he understands that inflation is still very high. The jobs report numbers are still, you know, fairly strong um, and that, you know, the economy can still take some of these, uh, you, you know, take this incre increased interest rate environment. So, you know, as much as like Bitcoin Twitter thinks like the world is going to end tomorrow, I think like, you know, we're underestimating the will of some of these people in power to one, keep in power and two, kind of keep this whole fiat system on its twig legs uh, before it all collapses. So, I mean, I personally think that, you know, they're going to keep it around as long as possible. We're going to still have to see a lot of, you know, countries like El Salvador, maybe Argentina now, and like some of these other like Latin American countries kind of start to go against the grain. Um, but the, at the end of the day, the dollar, you know, I mean, Javier Mille is meeting with, uh, you know, the U.S. to dollarize Argentina first before he would, you know, ever consider going into, a, you know, a, a Bitcoin standard. And I think that's still kind of where we're at. Um, and, you know, as much as, uh, you know, Bitcoiners think that, you know, it's, it's going to collapse like tomorrow, I, I still think that they're still going to have some sort of runway for, um, you know, the dollar and uh, the strength of the overall like U.S. economy, I, even though it's all kind of fake, you know. I, you're sitting in an apartment, I'm sitting in a house, like the value of all these things is going to, going to go up. Whereas like, you know, you're not, your landlord's not going in and fixing the floors. He's not redoing the toilets. He's not redoing the bathroom. He's not redoing the kitchen. All these things are depreciating, but somehow your house is appreciating. It doesn't make sense, but that's, what's going to happen, right? All the hard assets are going to keep going up. And, uh, you know, at the end of the day, I think, that's what makes the rich get richer and the poor get poorer is that the asset, uh, hard asset prices in, increase while the daily cost of living, um, you know, increases as well. And so, you know, with each recession, that recession gap, gap, gap grows and uh, people just are going to get more frustrated um, and then they're going to start asking for more handouts. So, I mean, I think, you know, it's just going to be the kind of this never ending cycle. I don't think we're quite there at the end yet. But I do think that, you know, we're going to have some sort of a recession or at least some like stagflation where the economy is not really growing, but somehow the rich is, you know, still managing to, you know, accumulate these assets. 
Right. I think stagflation is definitely in the cards for this decade. And I think in terms of how long can they keep the fiat Ponzi going, I think that question all boils down to long duration treasuries. Will someone other than the Federal Reserve step in as a large buyer? And that's a question that's far above my pay grade and, and my understanding of markets. So we'll just have to see how it plays out, right? Because foreign buyers aren't really into treasuries these days. Um, you know, China doesn't buy as much treasuries as they used to, I, I know. And we saw how the U.S. treated Russia's treasuries. And recently there was a, a failed auction. So, And now they're having to just issue short-term T-bills. So that's going to make this problem of debt and the interest payments on the debt come much sooner than it otherwise would if they were able to sell the long-duration bonds. So it'll be very interesting to uh, see how this plays out. And I think we do underestimate the ability of the Biden administration to gaslight the general populace into thinking that the economy is okay. We've already seen them do these semantic games with disinflation and say that inflation is as low as it's ever been, which it's just so nonsense, right? Because prices are still going up. Sure, they're going up at a slower rate than they were a year or two ago. And it's it's nonsense. But I think most people, if inflation gets bad enough, they're not going to be able to pull that kind of those stunts off, right? Because people will see it in their daily life when they go to the grocery store. They'll know prices are still going up. I paid $10 for a gallon of milk last week. Like, it, of course, prices are going up no matter what the government tells us is happening. So it'll be definitely interesting. We've, we're approaching a, a critical point, I think, in the US economy. And It'll be interesting to see how Bitcoin plays a role in that, if it can sort of quell the storm or if it really is just like a safe haven for the people that find it and then everyone else is is just sort of left out to dry. Yeah, I mean, it'll be re really interesting, right? I mean, we have the ETF, we have the Bitcoin halving, we have a potential recession. Like none of these things have all happened at the same time. And like two of those things are in Bitcoin related you know, events where we've never really had, I guess, like, I guess in my eyes, the run-up has never really been because of Bitcoin, right? I mean, it's been, been because of, you know, excess liquidity. It's been because of, you know, um, uh, the business cycle. I, I, I kind of equate, like, you know, the having run-ups to more of like the, the business cycle of things. Of course, like the supply and demand, um, you know, in a sense would, would help with the price. But I mean, at this, at the same time, right, like 92% or something like that of Bitcoins have been, have been mined already at this point. So is that change of 8% left really going to change, you know, be a huge price driver? In my opinion, I don't really think so. I think it's more about like the human behavior of the hodlers. Um, you know, the, like I just said, the, the ETF, a lot of more institutional capital coming in and then the having coincidentally is there as well. So, um, you know, I think uh, all these different events, uh, all going into like a poor macro economy, uh, it's going to be really interesting to say the very least. I mean, I guess we all got to buckle up and enjoy the ride. I mean, we're already starting to see a little bit of a run up. Maybe we're seeing some people come in and try to pre-buy the ETF. I, I don't, I don't know, front run that maybe some people know some other things because I feel like, you know, usually we see that in stocks and some other aspects of things. Somebody gets the, the tip a little bit before. So I wouldn't be surprised if somebody knows, you know, about this Bitcoin ETF and then, you know, all, all of a sudden on the news, all the plebs are jumping for joy and then it drops back down a little bit. And we kind of, you know, it's not a smooth straight ride up. But um, yeah, I mean, I think these next 12 months, to say the very least, are going to be really, really interesting. And I think pretty fun to be in the Bitcoin space in the next 12 to 18 months, to say the very least. Yeah, I second that notion. And it is strange how the halving cycles have really lined up with the liquidity cycles. And it's kind of difficult to tell if the halvings actually are a catalyst. I tend to think they are, especially in the current environment. I will agree that the hodler behavior is the number one catalyst because Bitcoin, when there's no sellers, price has to start drifting up. But in the same breath, who is selling right now? It's mostly the miners. And now as price goes up, they have to sell less of that because their profit margins are wider. But the amount that they have available to sell on a concurrent basis is going to get cut in half. And I really can't think of any other large sellers in the market. 
beyond the minors. So I think that's just going to be sort of the match that that really sets things off. Well, maybe it's maybe it's fair to say the ETF is is the match, right? And then the having is just like gasoline poured on top of it. There's so many catalysts right now. Is there any reason to be bearish going into 2024? Because everybody I know that's really deeply into Bitcoin, we're all super bullish right now. Is that in, a, in and of itself a red flag? If you had to steel man the bear case, what would you say that is? You know, I might, I might even be, I don't know, I might even pour some more fuel on the, on the bullfire here because, you know, obviously we had the, the Bitcoin last cycle get up to 69K, but what did we also have, right? I mean, you, we talked about it a little bit earlier. We had FTX, Celsius, all these other exchanges basically handing out paper Bitcoin. Well, you know, I don't think, I think more regulation is around that. And as much as Bitcoiners hate regulation, the one thing is, is that won't let as many bad actors get in and, you know, kind of let these crypto casinos uh, like play games with your money and play games with your stuff. So, you know, I, I obviously would be very wary of, you know, companies like holding your Bitcoin on an exchange. But I think at, this, at the end of the day, a lot of these exchanges are going to have a tougher time to issue paper Bitcoin. And I think more players are getting into it. So I think, you know, the Bitcoin price top was suppressed by all this paper Bitcoin in the last cycle. So I think in this cycle, we might see an, another big run up. But I guess for the the bear case, I mean, I could be wrong on the on the recession aspect of things. Right. I mean, I think, you know, that 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 would probably be the most bearish scenario where, you know, the job market in the U.S. just absolutely tanks. Um, then the Fed, you know, pulls back and, um, you know, lowers interest rates. Um, but everybody at that time had already lost their job. There's a lot of competition. People need to sell in order to, um, you know, live their day-to-day -day life. And so that would kind of suppress the price as well. That's what, that's the, the big doomsday scenario that I foresee, or I guess not foresee, but I, I could potentially see of, uh, you know, essentially just like the consumer getting absolutely crushed and then needing to sell off, unfortunately. Um, but like I said a little bit earlier, like I kind of see it where the consumer has shown some resi resiliency. Um, we're not the, in the strongest economy right now. It's a lot of stagflation. It's harder for like more of these startups, but these well-established companies, the big boys are kind of coming in and swallowing up some of these small guys. I think that pattern is probably going to continue. Um, it's making it harder to start a small business, which is very unfortunate. Um, but I think, you know, the worst case scenario would be consumer losing their jobs, having to sell off and then rent and our rents kind of staying where it's at. You know, the one big driver too, I didn't even really bring up too much is a lot of these uh, commercial real estate buildings in like downtown cities like LA, Chicago, San Francisco, New York are all empty. And so that all of these, you know, big commercial office buildings where now it's like, Hey, I can work remote. Uh, all of these buildings are, uh, you know, going to go under. And so, you know, a lot of big players usually invest in that um, and not a lot of mom and pop, but you know, the ones that can't really afford all that, they're going to go really under. And then the banking system is going to be, um, you know, pretty hurt from that because usually speaking, it's, you know, a, a local regional bank that lends to these uh, buyers to buy a you know a building and I'm in Tampa so in downtown Tampa and then they put an arm on it or it's you know you got to refinance after a certain amount of years well those years are starting to come up the valuation of the building is usually valued at you know how how occupied it is and what's the rent roll and all of that you know so I mean I think that's going to be a really interesting place to, to, to watch. And I guess that's my second doomsday scenario is if commercial real estate starts to, to really collapse there. And then that kind of like drags over into, you know, potential of, you know, just uh, residential real estate as well. That makes sense. And certainly could be short term to the downside, but we know how they respond to those types of crises. It's always firing up the money printers. So even in that scenario, Medium to long term, I think six to 12 months after that, Bitcoin's right back and roaring because they always respond by printing more money. Brandon, I really appreciate you you pinch hitting last minute and coming on. Where can we send the audience to, to keep up with what you're doing? 
Yeah, man. Anytime. I really appreciate you having me on. And uh, yeah, everybody uh, subscribe to your podcast, dude. You guys do a great job at, at Blockware and I really appreciate it. And yeah, it was great. Thank you. Pacific Bitcoin. And hopefully I see it at some of, some of these other conferences. But um, where you can find me, uh, YouTube, uh, just search Green Candle. I got the logo on the hat here. Um, if you're uh, looking for other podcasts, I have State of Bitcoin, anywhere you get podcasts and Macro Insights, which is more on the macro side of things. And then Twitter, my handle is uh, Green Candle IT. Same thing on Noster and Instagram and all that, all that other jazz too. So uh, yeah, check me, check my stuff out. And I hope, uh, I hope everybody enjoyed this conversation. Mitch, thanks so much for having me on, dude. I, it was a blast.